Hello, Stephen. Hello, Erica. We just watched episodes four, five, and six of Seeds of Death. Death. I'm feeling slightly unwell, and I called it Seeds of Doom twice today, and that's never happened before, and I feel awful. Oh my God. The look on his face was like the saddest, most ashamed I think I have ever, ever seen you. It was... You you felt really bad, and then you whispered, please don't tell anybody I said that. But I said, no, 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 it's just an illustration of how under the weather you really are right now. I know, there's, it's almost as bad as that one time, and in here they got the production screwed up of Planet of Evil and Pyramids of Mars. I thought oh. I thought Pyramids of Mars, I still get them confused to this day. Is it 4H or 4G? I think Pyramids of Mars is 4G. I have to think about that, because Pyramids is doesn't have a G in it, but Planet of Evil's, anyway. Wow. Yeah. These are these the uh, there are a couple roadblocks. For some people it is seeds of doom and seeds of death. Um I think even like Twitch uh got it wrong too, <laughs> I think, when they're running it. Um so I don't I don't feel as bad as all that, but still. I mean they're very similar. Seeds of mm-hmm. and then a one syllable word that starts with D. Yeah. As I was saying before we got started recording, there should be a Doctor Who story called the Doom of Death or the Death of Doom or something just to, you know, complicate things even more. Actually, there should be both the Doom of Death and the Death of Doom. I feel like there has been a spoof with that very name at some point. Well, there's the Curse of the Fatal Death, which is, that's more like the Deadly Assassin. It is kind of, isn't it? Tautology. Tautological. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, the last three episodes. This this is exciting. We've uh, we were actually we had our our momentum interrupted by a Doctor Who convention. That being Gallifrey One, and we never watched any episodes of Doctor Who. That's true. I thought you were going to say we had our momentum interrupted on this podcast because we had a microphone failure we exactly did. fifty seconds ago. Yeah. Um. And Stephen probably edited it together. We had to be a little less lazy this time because yeah, our 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 good old microphone that we've been using since like episode 12 Mm -hmm. just the usb component of it completely crapped out in the middle of a sentence but we're still using it because apparently the xlr function still works yeah podcast um inside baseball thank you i was gonna say backroom politics and think of that (laughs) it's not what i was thinking at all um yeah so that's very strange so we're we're even less lazy that we're actually editing an episode together Mm -hmm. people we we were um some listeners were being very short with us at how unlazy we've been in this past couple of weeks by watching a lot of Doctor Who episodes at once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we got some stick for that at Gallifrey One. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in person from from people being like, yeah. "Yeah, you should really rename your podcast." Whatever, people. That would be unlazy <laughs> to come up with a new name. That would take work. So, nope. Exactly. Some people have really lazy like weekends, and they you know they they succeed at being lazy a lot. And that's what we were. We were very lazy. And when doing so, we watched a lot of Doctor Who. That's true. We didn't get anything else done at, during the time that we've been watching Doctor Who. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Because we are, we are rapidly uh, getting towards the end of the Patrick Troughton era. Mm-hmm. Um, with, as you say, episodes four, five, and six. Tell you what, who's being lazy in episode four? Patrick Troughton, because he was on vacation during that episode. Ah. Did so, you notice that? Uh, you know, I... It, sort of, like, because I know I remember when uh, Jamie and Phipps are looking through the grate, and he's like, "Can you see the doctor?" And they said, "No," because he's just he. And I, it had been so long since we'd watched episode three that I was like, "Oh yeah, I remembered the doctor getting shot, but I couldn't remember what they did with him. They just left him on the floor. <laughs> he was just lying out of out of sight, um, out of sight of the grate, out of sight of the camera." Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But not out of mind. No. Well, I mean, he was kind of out of my mind for a second, but then I remembered. Yeah, it's. I'm intrigued because uh, so Terrence Dix is writing the rest of the story at this point, even though it's still credited to Brian Hales. And you notice that, like it's episode four, which is like a, a pretty notable episode, the six part episode to have the, the the star of the show completely drop out. And so you notice that there's a lot of stuff that needs to be figured out, like what is the Ice Warriors plan with the seeds? Uh, and there's some important scientific dialogue. And all of a sudden, Professor Eldred is the one like for for an episode discovers that oh there's a pattern to all these things they're all going to northern hemisphere uh cities and large parts of the population like he's basically subbing in for the doctor and sussing out the the plot and then you look in episode five when the doctor finally meets up with them he sort of like quickly summarizes the uh what what they've discovered essentially almost to sort of assert that he was the one who came (laughs) who actually Mm -hmm. came up with him so when they were writing this, did they know that Patrick Troughton was going to be on vacation or did they end up, uh, did he plan that later and they took some of the doctor's lines and gave them to Professor Eldred? I don't remember if that was a late addition, but given that it was a script editor who was writing the show, I feel like he'd probably know Troughton's holiday patterns, but maybe not mm-hmm. long enough to beforehand to sort of like prepare for it since he was getting a script in that was you know, from an outsider. I don't know. I've, I'm sure I could read up on that. Okay. Well, I just, I, I noticed, I did notice that about <clears throat> Professor Eldred. I didn't particularly notice, oh, he's doing the doctor's role. I just noticed, hey, this is a smart guy. But I, I thought he was smart from the beginning. He seemed, you know, he, he's a crotchety old man and he's, he's annoyed that his precious, precious rockets aren't, uh, aren't being used anymore. But he always seemed like a pretty smart fellow. So when he's the one that's not only is he figuring things out, but I really like how he's sort of a foil to Commander Radnor, who's just Mr. Reaction. Like <laughs> yeah. he's just he, he reacts to everything and he doesn't really think about stuff very much. And I wonder, how did you get your job? Like is TMAT, has it just been really running that smoothly that they've got a bunch of incompetent boobs that are kind of in control? Um, because then you have you have the professor coming in and being like, OK, there's got to be a reason for this. There's what's their plan? seems like a really basic basic question to ask if you're the person in control like what is the reason for what is happening rather than just you know like let's put a band-aid over it instead of stitching up the wound or whatever yeah i think there's a there's a problem with the hierarchy in tmat because when <laughs> sir james gregory comes in yes. he's blustering in here and he goes oh i don't, I don't want to hear the end of any sentences so it's all fine then oh what about this oh this is absolutely ridiculous he like he jumps to conclusions throughout all of commander radnor's report and now you can kind of see why he was radnor got the job because he's probably just as like uh impulsive and not waiting around for answers as, as his boss is you know, I don't want to say anything about management in general, but sometimes... If it says on man. Ooh, that too. Yeah. But like, you know, the higher up the food chain you go, sometimes the less um, connection people have to what is actually happening and reality. So it kind of makes sense that Miss Kelly is the one who actually has her crap together and knows knows her job and and seems pretty competent and clever and you know she helps put things together and then uh you've got commander radnor who's just like just shoot it <laughs> shoot it some more it killed all the guards oh and then uh and then you know you go up one word or whatever his name was who the, his boss Sir James Gregory, you mean? Yeah, Sir James Gregory, who like doesn't demonstrate any 
tiny bit of competence. All he wants is just give me the report and make it make sense. Like, I got your report, Commander Radnor, Mm -hmm. and I couldn't make a lick of sense out of it. Well, okay, yeah, we just said Radnor's not necessarily the the greatest manager, but (laughs) I feel like if you couldn't get any sense out of his report, some of that's on you, buddy. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, this is a bit of spoilers for for the John Pertwee era, but the 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 man from the Ministry is kind of a a, a meme that sort of takes place in some of the episodes. And I'm wondering, with Terrence Dix sort of doing the writing of this now, like, is this where he plants the seeds for that? Is this where he sort of thinks a good sort of like stop, like you know, kind of a bit of a roadblock for the Doctor's plans or for or for the progression of the story that isn't necessarily tied to the villain? Like the Ice Warriors don't necessarily come in and invade much is bureaucracy <laughs> and so that's like they're the stumbling block and so the doctor gets annoyed at at the you know at the bureaucracy and, and rules holding them back and sort of has to go around and become a bit of an iconoclast to solve the problem and i wonder if that's actually where it starts is this story here hmm, could be yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. there was also uh in episode four early on in episode four which i found a a neat little um signifier of episodic weekly television from back in the day where, you know, the, the episode starts, it's when the doctor sort of like gets uh, um, knocked out by the gas. And then we have some dialogue between like, you know, uh, Miss Kelly and Zoe and like, you know, talking over the ice wars with the ice wars in the control room. And that's where the heating is. And then Jamie and, and Phipps, I think, have a little bit of like recap dialogue as well. And it's just, it's just a little way of sort of like just inserting in there little bits of dialogue to keep the audience who, you know, maybe after four episodes or three episodes in, perhaps, you know, some have dropped off, some have picked up, and just to keep them a little bit up to speed of what's going on. I think it's neat. Yeah, I mean, it's a a nice little sort of dialogue recap. I did sort of go, we already knew that, Zoe, but, uh, you know, they're making it big and dramatic, but it totally makes sense if it's been a week since you last saw Jamie and Phipps head off. Um, You know, now we get the reminder of where they were going, what Mm -hmm. they were going to do, and why it's a dangerous thing. Yeah, and we haven't watched this in a week either, so it's kind of a nice refresher for us too. That's true. That is very true. It totally was. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so so, um, not Phipps. Well, Phipps dies sadly. Yeah, yeah, the sixth beetle. Yeah, poor guy. He was also claustrophobic, and I I really liked that sequence where he freaked out in the corridors with Zoe. I thought, you know, there's we see a lot of awful things happen in Doctor Who, and many people die, and. I think it's not often enough that we get truly sort of, you know, human feeling reactions to that. You know, sometimes we get people flipping out sort of in an over the top kind of a way. But this, his reaction felt really down to earth because it wasn't immediately after the the awful stuff that he saw. Like, you know, he's just kind of in shock. And then finally enough sort of time passes and he's out of direct harm's way sitting in the corridor with with Zoe and having to try to make this decision which way to go and like that's when he breaks and and he points out you know yeah I just saw my friends die and this is there are aliens and monsters and he just can't handle it Mm -hmm. and I thought I just thought that was really great and then I was extra sad when he died because I just thought he was a good character from the very beginning. Yeah, good helpful Phipps. You know, they're actually helping the humans from the word go as opposed mm-hmm. to Fushim, who uh mm-hmm. such an interesting character. The layers that go on, especially in this episode where he has, helps everyone to escape. Mm-hmm. 
then lies to Miss Kelly and says, no, I fixed the, the timing circuit. It's fine. I'll follow you. Get in the, get in the team at. And mm-hmm. Miss Kelly doesn't believe him, but she goes anyway. And sure enough, he was lying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then she jumps to the conclusion that he was staying there to collaborate some more. Yeah. But really, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that when the doctor, when he thinks the doctor has been killed by his direct hand and he discovers that, you know, all life on earth is going to be wiped out or all humans anyway, um, he realizes sort of what a mistake he has made and he comes to the decision that he's going to stay behind and see what he can do to make up for it. Yeah. That's 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 the way I, I read it. I don't think he had any intention of continuing to collaborate, um, which is why I think he's started plotting right then and there and, you know, is asking the right questions. And you know, he's actually a pretty clever guy because the way that he is able to come up with a reason for them to make them tell him all of the things that he needs to know mm-hmm. and turning on, you know, even before he turns on the video link, but then he turns on the video link and is asking just the right questions and phrasing things just the right way to get all of the information back to earth mm-hmm. that is necessary to save humanity. You know, it's like we've even before this, but also after this, we see the doctor when he's put in tough positions with, uh, with enemies of some sort, often working with the bad guys for a certain amount of time until he can turn around and, you know, stab them in the back and win the day. Really, that's the same thing that Fushim does here. It's just that we don't cut him the slack in the beginning because he's not the doctor. He's just some, you know, weaselly faced weakling who, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, who's just scared for his own hide. Whereas when the doctor's doing it, the doctor's doing it to buy himself some time to try to, you know, solve everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's not the, maybe always the greatest thing to play the, the what if game, but if Fushim hadn't collaborated in the first place, who knows what would have happened? I mean, maybe maybe the Ice Warriors would have... That would have thrown a huge wrench into their plans and they wouldn't have been able to carry things out because they wouldn't have been able to operate Team At. Maybe. Or maybe they would have figured it out or maybe somebody else would have, you know, fixed it from Earth and come up and, and they, they still would have gotten gotten what they wanted to get done done and there wouldn't have been anybody around in the end to stop them. Like, it's possible that because Fushim did cooperate and, you know, we did lose the lives of the, the poor people who had their faces stuck in the in the giant balloons that explode mm-hmm. and kill him. Uh, but then because of that, he was he was in the right place at the right time. So his, his motivation at the beginning is certainly not noble, but his actions are sort of the same actions that you could be expected of, of a spy who is embedded in, you know, undercover. Mm-hmm. But also, I think he is still thinking of himself. There's the conversation at the beginning of part five after he sort of like he pretends he's just been woken up after having been knocked out. And and then, you know, the, the uh, Slar and Fushim have that conversation after Slar stumbles in and turns the heating down. And Fushim, what Fushim tells him there in his little report is pretty much bang on what happens, except that, you know, they, they knocked me out and they went to Earth. They didn't knock him out, but they did team at to Earth. But then when he says, you know, what do you think would happen back to me on uh, to me back on Earth? They, I'd be executed as a traitor. He's probably right. Mm-hmm. He's probably right. And so he's kind of looking at like, well, I'm dead anyway. Now mm-hmm. I can I can either like go back to Earth and 
be a traitor and and die in infamy or I can at least do something to actually help and, and you can kind of tell the moment when that happens it's it's when the you know he feels horror when you've killed him you've killed him when he when the doctor and he blames it on the ice warriors and say I've killed him you've killed him but then when he looks over and sees Phipps and uh and Zoe open up the the grate you know he just like I can help, and that's when he actually mm. makes his choice. You know. Oh yes, yeah, I think you're right. Maybe that is that is the moment. And yeah, you know, you you are right that it, it, in the end he is still sort of thinking about himself because, yeah, if he goes to Earth, he's probably going to be executed, like almost certainly. But if he stays there, it's not just maybe I can help, but maybe I can help and sort of stretch it out long enough that if I help enough, maybe maybe I'll make it through this. He mm-hmm. sadly does not, but. I, th- I think he knew that he was the second he turned on that video unit that he was pretty much because he's very he very sort of defiantly says every yeah. word has been heard on earth mm-hmm. you know at that point he knows that they're not going to spare him yeah but by then yeah for sure but maybe at first um when when he first decides to stay and he's having that f- initial conversation with slar maybe he has a, a little bit of hope that he could still somehow come through it yeah because slar even says you know when the inv- when the the warriors come in and our fleet arrives you shall be safe you know he's actually like okay you're pretty cool guy let's keep you going and it, it, the you know the the grand marshal has it in his mind, you know, that we need a human to operate team at. Because he's saying, well, you killed Fusion, but maybe you can get another human unoperated because we need the human to do that. And don't kill him. <laughs> don't kill this one, you know, chastising him as he would do. Yep. You, you think that I, I suppose maybe it requires more than clamps, perhaps, to operate <laughs> uh-huh. team at, and they realize their <laughs> their downfall is the clamps. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's probably probably it um speaking of the grand marshal i totally dig the sparkly helmet that is super sweet Mm -hmm. it's played by graham lehman another seated role in doctor who i think one of his five roles in doctor who and not once did he uh, actually stand up in them because i because i think he actually had didn't have the use of his legs i think i've talked about this in the past this is what this is toby haydoke's um hypothesis that he actually was was unable to use his legs but i either a you know, he got roles, you know, seated roles, I guess. Or B, I think it was just like kind of like a open secret in a way. Like mm. just like, you know, they kept giving him work because he was a good actor, but they didn't want to sort of like, let's, oh yeah, he doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, he can't walk, so we, we shouldn't hire him for anything because, you know, this was the 1960s and all. And so perhaps that could have been a a, a roadblock to his career. Well, I've honestly, in in that respect, things haven't changed all that much. People with disabilities are definitely not uh, not really high on the list in in Hollywood or or British film um, either, which is a gosh darn shame. Because yeah, there are some disabled people who can act very well and who should who should totally get more roles. Yeah, definitely. Um, what, a, what a shame that he had to to hide himself that way. Um, that you know, if it was if it was like you said, sort of an, an open secret, it's it, that is that is a bummer. What a what a a cool opportunity for representation uh, it would have been. But at, at the same time, I would never ever ever shame anybody for for making a choice like that. Like I completely understand and support his decision to do that. It's just uh, sucks that uh, society made him feel that he needed to do that. 
it does and perhaps you know also you know that there's not enough roles for people in wheelchairs or something like that mm-hmm. to actually write in as no again 60s not necessarily thing that would probably he'd probably be portrayed as an emotionally wrought person because he's yeah. in a wheelchair and you know how it goes yeah especially in doctor who doctor who's uh history of portraying people uh, in a wheelchair of some sort. Uh, not ideal. <laughs> you mean the creator of the Dalek Stavros himself, mm-hmm. for one? Yep, that's that's one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, foam, funny foam. Let's do a segue to funny foam. <laughs> foam party, not since the Fury from the Deep. Mm-hmm. Fury from the Deep. Sorry, I said the. Uh, right. Have we had such delightful foam? <laughs> Um, this was this was some excellent foam. This was actually bigger and badder and better than uh, the, than than Fury from the Deep. I keep wanting to say the. Well, we never saw the full effect of Fury from the Deep, to be fair, but uh, that was a lot. It was in one set, whereas this is like, I mean, I'm sure it was actually all happening in one set, but within the context of the story, yeah. it's taking over many many gardens and rolling into different rooms and coming up out of the doctor's beaker as he's testing it Mm -hmm. and it's just it's all over and you see people tromping through that was one thing i was like okay the doctor's got to go out and get some samples instead of showing us the doctor on the edge of a pile of foam no he just tromps right through it it's all up his pant legs and and then and then he's just like trying to be very carefully taking a sample and not paying attention to the thing that explodes and he just falls like it's, it's ridiculous he's so not he's not the science the scientistiest of of doctors there yeah the the consistency of what these pods can do uh-huh. you know one blows up in 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 brent's face and kills him but everyone else seems safe <laughs> There's all these guards with either science or security plastered on their visors, like either hosing it down, defense, sorry, um, hosing it down, whereas the doctor is like running through it, then everyone else is kind of running through it. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lack of consistency, whatever. It's well, silly. It's fun. It, it seems that the foam itself, the foam, doesn't have any kind of adverse effect on human beings. It's only the pods as they explode, and if you are apparently like a certain number of inches or, or feet from them when right. they pop, that's enough to, to get into you and uh, make you die of oxygen starvation also known as suffocation <laughs> like yeah. just <laughs> why not just say suffocated asphyxiation is that or, a word yeah actually asphyxi- asphyxiation yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. so that's just that made me laugh a little bit maybe no one could say asphyxiation that's <laughs> they changed it oxygen starvation yeah that sounds better perhaps oxygen starvation <laughs> sounds better from the computer voice and asphyxiation i love the computer voice it just like it sounded like that guy was having so much fun mm-hmm just delightful i love it i like the bit where you know he's like talking everything is going bad here's things starvation is happening and radnor sort of goes like oh discontinued report report will continue to be recorded (laughs) even though it's not going to read it out i'm still typing it over here and i am enjoying it yeah (laughs) yep oh just that's just amazing delivery because it's not like super consistent uh, computer voice so it's not it's fairly monotone but not entirely so and then the speed will vary <laughs> just and the pitch will like go yep. up a little bit yeah uh-huh. yep so it's just it's fun i feel like i feel like they don't realize it yet but they've created artificial intelligence mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they have 
Um, and then and then Doctor Who wins by using the uh, the the homing beacon thing, which is very clever from Fushim and, and the Ice Warriors go off into the sun, and then one Ice Ice Warrior shoots another Ice Warrior because the doc and, and yeah, what else? What else uh, of all the the crazy action that happened in Episode Six uh, caught your fancy? Oh, and the Doctor managed to fix the weather um, <coughs> device, which. Like he gets down there and he pulls out a billion D wires. I'm like, who designed that machine? Why does it need so many cables? I feel like that was uh, a little, a little over the top and ridiculous. Um, and then him being like, I wonder if what will happen if I touch these two wires together? Zap! Yeah. That was just a special effect for the sake of special effects. Mm-hmm. It was still funny though. But yeah, so he manages to fix it, and uh, you know, Doctor makes it rain. That's right, he did. And there's some great shots from Michael Ferguson yes. that we, we, we reacted to, like the sort of really close-up shot of uh, Slar's eye, essentially, and that sort of zooms out, and then you can see me behind uh, Fushim. It wasn't just a close-up of Slar's eye. It was a close-up of the reflection of Fushim right. in Slar's eye, and this like extreme close-up. And then, yeah, and then it, it pulls out so that then you're seeing like an over-the-shoulder shot of Fushim, Look, you know, the camera looking at Slar, but it continues to go back, and it's this really low angle, like from the floor. Mm-hmm. So you're looking past Fushim at Slar. It was that was that was really cool. Yeah, there was some out of I think some out of sequence stuff going on there with some some of the shots. Like there's a lot of shots where everyone's sort of looking up towards the end there, so, you know, in extreme close up, and then you cut to the wide shot, and clearly the cameras aren't there. So those are like special insert mm-hmm. shots, and like lining up those kind of shots probably took some time. This is in a time when they're still making, you know, one episode a week and so you don't necessarily have all all the time but Michael Ferguson my most underrated director in Doctor Who is doing a smashing job. And the part where Fushim turns on the video link and you get it sort of switching back and forth between seeing it on the monitor from the Earth POV Mm -hmm. to getting the actual you know it's the exact same shot but we're seeing it through the camera without the the filter of the, the television screen on it and it sort of goes back and forth. What a cool like directorial storytelling mm-hmm. uh device yeah he returns for two more stories one of which is my favorite i think i've said it on this podcast before but we'll get there mm-hmm. when we get there is it the space pirates uh, no <laughs> no it's not no and two john pertwee stories he's done okay. ferguson is done for mm-hmm. for patrick Troughton, just as we almost are yeah, yeah we're, that's it yeah. Would, uh, so yeah. and you've probably answered this before but who is your favorite classic Doctor Who director besides Graham Harper? Uh, I would say Douglas Campfield, okay. I think, is probably just by sheer body of work. He's had a lot more episodes, I think. So I quite so like his stuff. Uh, quantity, not quality? Well, no, he ha- had a lot of like, you know, he had a lot of episodes and they were all like really great. And Ferguson also was really great. Oh, it's really tough. Don't make me choose. Okay. Yeah. You don't have to choose. I just wanted to say, see, this is this is yeah, the thing yeah. that you always yeah. do. I'm saying this to you so that I can say okay. uh, that I think Michael Ferguson is now my favorite. Is he really? Oh, well, this is exciting. Yeah. I've just, I'm so impressed. Um, and I mean, as we go on, that might change, but I can almost guarantee you it's not, it's not going to be Douglas Canfield because as great as he is, and don't get me wrong, he's, he's great. But one of the places that he really excels is action sequences, which as you know, I don't care about. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, I can tell you that I am even more excited for you to watch a future story. Mm -hmm. I'm also very excited to have you watch The Sandbaggers, which he was oh. producer and director on many episodes, Ooh. which I discovered af- as a, as the credits rolled in episode one. I think, oh, that was really stylishly done. Oh, my God, it was Michael Ferguson. 
So that that really answered a lot of questions for me. So yay! Oh, this makes me so happy. Yeah, and it, like, I wish I could remember all of the things that I noticed because there were a lot of things that just and it wasn't like sometimes when I, when I notice direction. It's because like it's clear the director is trying too hard, but that I never got that feeling in this story. It was just, it it was it was doing something cool and it added to the atmosphere and the mood of the story. It wasn't just a cool shot for the sake of of a cool shot. At least that's not the way that it came across to me. So I just yeah I really enjoyed it and I, I noticed a number of directorial flourishes, whereas I don't always like key in on that sort of stuff but every time i noticed it it was it was with a with a you know gasp of joy yeah there was one uh, the one great sequence where where the doctor is sort of slumped over in the t-mac capsule and they're slowly pushing on on one camera into that shot and then another shot is pushing into the basically the transmit button for the t-mac the switch just enhancing the drama by cutting back and forth even though the cameras are still zooming in at the same rate but the vision mixer is switching back and forth between the cameras very inventive use of of multi-cam stuff mid-zoom switching yeah Mm -hmm. michael ferguson yeah, he's he's up there. Yeah, and, mm. and and I would also then also I I need to give props to not only the vision mixer or the technical director, which is what we called it when I was in school, um, but the camera operators as well. Like that unit was operating as a well-oiled machine in order to get that shot and actually make it worth work to have both of the cameras zooming in at just the right time. And to get the actors to be doing the things that they need to be doing um, in like in the right places at the right time so that all of that can come together, especially when your schedule is as tight as uh, what they were dealing with with then. So, yeah, I mean, props to everybody, but, you know, double props to Michael Ferguson, because as the director, he's the one that's got to make sure that all of those pieces are, are moving in in coherent unison. Yeah, as I think I've said before, either on this show or other shows, uh, I maintain that that the camera people on Doctor Who are just as important as the actors because they are rehearsing their moves too. They move around. When one camera's done his shot, you know, boom, this one's here. This one has to move over here and line up there. Like it is pl- as the pl- as the scene plays out there are four or five cameras dancing around and then moving over to the next scene to catch the the first scene of the next uh first shot of the next scene it's a it's a very carefully choreographed dance yeah one of one of the classes that i remember and liked the best when i was in college was my um advanced studio production class so actually i like both the non-advanced and the advanced but the advanced one obviously a lot more technical stuff going on and my favorite thing to do was the vision mixer position the technical director like that i freaking loved pushing the buttons and like making sure everything happened at exactly the right time that was great but also uh, operating cameras was was the other thing that i liked quite a lot and the cameras that we used were big studio cameras they weren't the huge like turret cameras that that these these camera workers are using but they were still pretty big i mean they're a heck of a lot bigger than i was um and yeah moving those things around and getting them into place like i can tell you on the much newer versions that i had to use was still not the easiest thing to do Mm -hmm. so i absolutely applaud the fellows i'm assuming it was all fellows who (laughs) who did it uh 
back in 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 those days because because yes uh i i i know the work that you do fellas and i salute you absolutely i think there's been a a couple of uh, dvd extras on various doctor who dvds that have Mm -hmm. had features on camera operators and sex alec alec wheel i think was uh a guy who was very prevalent in doctor who in the 70s and 80s like as sort of the main studio camera person Mm -hmm. and so he was he was a legend in the bbc Nice. That's awesome. It's nice. It's nice when camera people get their due. I worked on a um, a cable access show um, when I also when I was in college. Maybe it was just after I was out of college. And yeah, I I always got saddled with camera two because it was the crap camera and nobody else could handle it. It's because, like, you know, when you're really good, you get it. So, like, in my head, maybe maybe Alec Wheel always got saddled with whichever was the crappiest camera because he was the legend and he could handle it. Yeah. The, the perils being promoted upwards, perhaps, yep. is sometimes not a good thing uh, if you're a really skilled cameraman or indeed, taking it back to the beginning, if you're an inefficient uh, bu- bureaucrat <laughs> in TMAT. Nicely, nicely brought around there. Full circle. Wait, no, we're way, way too early for that. Way too early. Not as early as you think. We're only 11 years before full, full circle. Only 11 years. Well, it's a lot of, it sounds like a lot, but it really isn't, no. given that the seasons will become half as long mm-hmm. in just a few episodes time, because we're, we're down to two remaining stories for the Patrick Troughton oh era, God. the I, 1960s, I the black and white era. I don't think I knew that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously I know what Patrick Troughton's last story is. I didn't realize that the space pirates was all we had in between then that. Wow. Okay, so this getting getting to where we need to be for Verity on time uh, seems much more doable than I thought. You think so? February is a short month and you're you're starting to review uh, Doctor Who and the Silurians on like March, mid-March or something like that. You're recording it. Mid, mid-March. Well, we have to watch those seven episodes and we have to watch this, the four episodes of Spear Heaven Space before that to get to it. And we have 16 more episodes to watch Patrick Troughton. Oh, 16. I didn't realize the Space Pirates was that long. It was six part. Okay. Well, I guess we better get on our horse. That's why I'm cracking the whip here. Yep. Yeah. It's not happening tonight, though, because it's my bedtime. Absolutely not. And uh, I wouldn't subject um, the last Doctor Who recon for you either. Only one episode exists. That's episode two. Uh, until of course all of them are found so yeah this is it and uh this will be intriguing because you know sadly john kira had died at this point so no telesnaps exist of the story there are very few promotional photos part of the part of my reason why the space pirates rate so low in people's minds is because no one has ever seen it or has really fully understood it because so little of it exists to look at and so i am intrigued to see what you think <laughs> of this story it's pretty exciting i mean and we can say that going into it that this will be the last doctor who story that i can say for certain that i've never seen yeah that's exciting isn't it yeah or seen or ex- experienced because mm-hmm. it is entirely possible that i've seen all orbits of any of the pert era and right. i just don't remember it because i was little mm-hmm Whereas this, there's there's no way my mom was watching a recon of the Space Pirates when yeah. I was a kid. That was not a thing that happened. So it's momentous. It's momentous. And we'll get to it on the next episode of Lazy Doctor Who. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.